The Bible says that we all are like orphans in need of adoption. Now, perhaps you've walked in here today and you're looking for love from someone. Maybe it was your father. Maybe your family doesn't take interest in you and you feel like you're alone. Maybe you're walking through a difficult divorce and in your heart of hearts you don't believe in love anymore, even if you won't admit it. Well, today, we are in the fourth week of the Advent series, as we already discussed, and we have come to the topic of love. Truthfully, I don't think there's another topic which can capture our hearts quite as much as this one, or can cause our hearts to wander quite as much as this one. The Advent of our Lord and the Christmas season is infused with the reality of God's love. And so to that end, we'll explore the topic today. And before we do that, would you please pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the reality that you are a good and faithful king, that your love is great. And Father, I don't know how everybody has walked in here today. I don't know everybody's story, but you do. And I know that within the heart of all of us, there is a longing for love at some level. And so today, I pray that you would comfort us. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would help us to see in your word the glory of your Son, and we ask that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, over two years ago, on December 2nd, 2015, employees at the San Bernardino County Department of Public Health in California were gathered together for their yearly Christmas party. This was supposed to be a time of celebration and relaxation after a year of work. Unfortunately, during the party, a dispute broke out between a few employees, and one of them left very upset. Now, we don't know specifically what happened, but whatever it was, the employee returned with an accomplice an hour later, reportedly with multiple magazines of ammunition attached to military-style clothing that he was wearing. In a fit of rage, he opened fire, killing 14 people and seriously injuring at least 17 others. Survivors from the scene reported that the man shot off his round, and once he was done, he reloaded and started again, attempting to kill as many people as he possibly could. The scene was very gruesome. Now, in the flurry of news coverage after the incident, one news station interviewed the shooter's brother-in-law, who said this, Why would he do that? Why would he do something like this? I have absolutely no idea. I am in shock myself. Now, while unclear at the beginning, an FBI investigation revealed that the perpetrators were homegrown violent extremists inspired by hatred. And even sadder is the reality that this occurred during a Christmas party, a season that is supposed to be the bedrock of love. Now, friends, when I see these incidents, it breaks my heart. They point to the reality that we live in a world that is full of hatred. In fact, every day it seems like we wake up and see evidence of hatred in our world. Hatred between cultures, hatred between races, hatred between families, hatred between politicians. We live in a world that seems like it's full of hate. Now, I mean, what else has more power to destroy families, split churches, shape governments, start wars, initiate violent movements, and topple dictatorships? Hatred is the biggest game in town. It may seem. And so for precisely this reason, if we're ever going to find a remedy to this problem, if we're ever going to find love, I suggest we need to look outside of ourselves. And that, at the core of it, is what Christmas is all about. Today's message is called Waiting for Love. 
And in a world full of hate, I think we are desperately longing for love. So how do we find it? Or maybe a better question is, where are we looking for love? Now, the love that will defeat hate must be genuine and self-sacrificial. In fact, it's something that will break down barriers. However, in our modern American society, where do we typically look for love? Or what draw, what's in our mind when we think about love? Well, I think we often find ourselves drawn to this concept of romantic love. We're fascinated with famous love stories. Our hearts are drawn to the latest gossip in People magazine about the romantic lives of Hollywood stars. Why did Brad and Angelina break up? What's the love story between, behind Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? You know, the fascination with romantic love is certainly not a 21st century issue. It's been in pop culture for many centuries. I mean, think about these stories. There's Romeo and Juliet, the pair of star-crossed lovers who would give anything for love. There's Scarlett O'Hara and Rhett Butler of Gone with the Wind fame. There's Ross and Rachel. There's Anakin Skywalker and Princess Amidala who give birth to Luke and Leia. And then there's Brad and Angelina, of course. Yet even romantic love causes tensions within us because this view of love often leaves our hearts broken and wanting more. Why do most country music songs involve an achy, breaky heart? Kesha once popularly sang that your love is my drug. Beyonce wanted to put a ring on it, and how could Taylor Swift make a career about singing about former boyfriends? See, this fascination with modern romantic love leaves our hearts wondering if there is more. And so in light of hatred and broken hearts, church, I would ask you this question, what is love as scripture defines it? And how does God's love differ from the idea of modern romantic love? And ultimately, where can we find that true love? Because God's love has the ability to end hostility. And so on this point, I think C.S. Lewis is helpful. In his book, The Four Loves, Lewis makes this observation about what he calls need love. He says, we are born helpless. And as soon as we are fully conscious, we discover loneliness. We need others physically, emotionally, intellectually. We need them if we are to know how, if we're to know anything, even ourselves. In other words, we are all made in the image of God as relational beings who crave relationship to feel loved. But all earthly relationships will ultimately fail us. So church, there is only one place that we can find true love. And he is at the heart of the Christmas story in Luke 1 and 2. So in our story today, we'll meet a number of characters who take a journey to understand the grand narrative of God's love displayed in the Christmas story. That journey will show us three things. The profit of love, the search for love, and the discovery of love. Now, the first section shows us where to look to find true love. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, speaks powerfully to his people and says that his son will essentially be the prophet of love. He'll be the prophet of love. Have you ever noticed that the life of John the Baptist and Jesus are interestingly intertwined? Nowadays, when babies of close friends or family members are born at the, around the same time, they usually become playmates and wind up growing up together. Now, certainly John the Baptist and Jesus had destiny together. Jesus was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, displaying God's love to the world. And John would be his forerunner. 
Now, before John is born, some crazy stuff happens in Luke chapter 1. And so picture yourselves in this scenario. Because essentially, John's mother, Elizabeth, is pretty old when the angel comes to her and tells her that she will give birth. She's well beyond her childbearing years. It'd be like giving birth in your 70s or 80s, if you can imagine such a thing. John's father, Zechariah, is skeptical about this whole situation, and God makes him mute for his unbelief. Then Mary shows up and tells Elizabeth that she's pregnant. So in Luke chapter 1, this is the scenario. Imagine a family where the grandmother gets pregnant. Then her teenage daughter tells her that she's pregnant, and then the grandfather goes mute. Now, that's a lot to take in. So when John is born, his father regains his voice. Everyone is afraid because he's been mute for so long, but he stands up and gives his son the name John. And all the people ask a very pointed question about John. They say, what then will this child be? In other words, what is his destiny? What is his calling? And then Zechariah speaks words of prophecy over his son. He says this in chapter 1, verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Wow. Now remember, as we've been learning about the last couple weeks, no prophet had spoken for God to Israel in 400 years. Now it says here that a new prophet will be risen up. Something is indeed happening. Zechariah says, you, John, my son, will be the prophet of the most high God. You will go before him and tell people of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. In other words, you will be the prophet that points his people to the great love of God. And why will God forgive them of their sins? Well, look at the next verse, verse 78. Because of his tender, the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. See, God will save his people and forgive their sins because of his what? His tender mercy. Now, I want you to take notice of that phrase, tender mercy, because the Greek words used there are a common translation of the Old Testament Hebrew word hesed. And the word hesed is the idea of God's love displayed in his covenant faithfulness to his people. Scholars will often translate this phrase covenant, uh, compassionate mercy. Hesed is God's covenant loyalty, his commitment to keep the covenant, even if his people sin and break their part of the agreement, even if his people cheat and forsake him and worship false gods, God will keep his covenant of love with his people. Hesed is God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. It is God's love both displayed and kept. Theologian Jack Cottrell defines God's love this way. He says, God's love is his self-giving affection for his image-bearing creatures and his unselfish concern for their well-being that leads him to act on their behalf and for their happiness and welfare. Hesed also has the idea that somebody who is stronger will help somebody who is weaker. And so what Zechariah is prophesying here is that whether he knows it or not, his son John will be the forerunner of the Savior Jesus, pointing people to the embodiment of Hesed in Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, 
became a baby and came to give us his tender mercy. He came on a rescue mission out of love. And that needs to make us say, wow. Now, this is a truly amazing moment in this story. Again, because there have been no prophets who've spoken for hundreds of years, and now one is, is spoken by a man who was mute, no less, who offers his prophecy. Now, before we go on in the story, there's an important question I think we should consider. And it's this, why did God make Zechariah mute? Well, God made him mute because he didn't believe that God could do what he said he could do. He didn't believe that God could give he and his wife a child in their old age. But I also think God made Zechariah mute so that he would have time to consider, time to ponder, time to meditate upon his power, his promises, and his love displayed in his covenant faithfulness. And church, I think that's important for us to hear at Christmas because with all the busyness of the season, the shopping, the preparing for guests, I wonder if we miss the reality of God's love at Christmas, even though it's the foundation. Because Christmas is not about presents, hot cocoa, or even the eggnog. Christmas is about God's gift love of himself to satisfy the need love in every human heart. And if we spend no time thinking about that at Christmas, I think we've actually missed the point. Friends, every part of our society echoes this truth. I mean, think about lyrics of the most popular Christmas songs out there, the pop songs. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Love is going to come with me. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart, and the very next day, you took it away. My heart was broken. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus underneath the mistletoe last night, if you can picture that scene. I'm sure it was quite a sight. Chestnuts are roasting on an open fire where relationships are forged. And watch out for Jack Frost nipping at your nose. And as Mariah Carey so aptly puts it, all I want for Christmas is you. Now these lyrics all point to the fact that we are longing for the covenant faithfulness, the love, the hesed that only God can bring. And so our commercialized American Christmas is an echo of the love that only God himself can offer. And it's ironic because that is what Christmas is all about. Now, John the Baptist will be the prophet who points to the reality of God's love. And I think that there's probably some of us in here today who need to hear this prophetic voice because we are missing true love this Christmas season. Many of us are searching for love in all the wrong places as the song goes. And we need the prophet to show us the way. And once we find that, we can engage in the second point, which is the search for love. Have you ever searched for something for a long time until you found it? It's pretty satisfying once you found it, right? Well, it takes us into our next scene because here, as the girl so, so well uh, captured for us, we see Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem and we see a birth of a son and, and them sleeping in a stable. At the same time, there are shepherds who are out in the fields not too far away who receive a visitation from angels. And when the angels come, they're filled with fear. Now, I realize we looked at this section a couple weeks ago, but I'd like to point out some things we may have missed. And Pastor Dave did a great job of explaining how afraid people are of angels, right? Whenever an angel shows up in the Bible, people are terrified. But these angels bring good news to the shepherds. Look at verse 10 in chapter 2. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. Now again, picture this scene, new scene. We got shepherds out in the fields minding their own business, making sure their sheep are eating grass, because I I think that's what shepherds do. Um, When all of a sudden an angel appears, and the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. And the shepherd's probably sitting there thinking, well, I didn't even know I needed to look for great joy. I didn't know I was missing anything. But good news has come into the world. And take notice of that Greek word, the the word good news, because the Greek word is the word euangelion, where we get our word evangelism from. This was a term familiar to ancient audiences as Roman propaganda. It was often used for glad tidings related to the birth of an emperor, his coming of age, or his ascension to the throne. And so it's incredibly interesting that this word is used here to announce the birth of Jesus, and in fact, the gospel story of Christ will redefine this term as we know it today. But, but don't you also see what's going on? Zechariah has just been talking about this in, in the beginning of chapter 1 that we didn't read. He gets up and he offers a prophecy and he says, uh, he's reminding his people that the horn of salvation will come from David's house. And now... And now, in chapter 2, we see that a Savior is born in the city of who? Of David. The horn of salvation has come. The Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. The tender mercy of God has come as a baby. In other words, love has come to town. What will the sign be? Well, the shepherd says this in verse 12, and this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And if you were a shepherd, you might say, a baby? Really? A baby is the one who will fulfill the covenant promise of God? A baby born in a dirty, filthy stable is the one who will forgive his people of their sins? Yes. Love has come as a baby born to a poor virgin. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, this causes the angels to sing. Look at verse 13. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased because God is worthy of praise and his love brings peace to the world. The people of God are longing for peace in an era of oppression and their hearts are desperate for the covenant faithfulness of God to come on display. Now again, this must have been an incredibly strange scene for the shepherds, one they weren't expecting. So what do they do? Look at verse 15. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said, they looked around, they said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. After this magnificent display of angels, they're intrigued. They have to see what's up with this baby. And so they heard the voice of the angel and they go on a search for the baby. Little do they know they're about to come face to face with the love of God in the flesh. Now, I think we have something in common with the shepherds, because I think all of us are also on a quest at some level. All of us are searching for love in one way, shape, or form. Now, it may be romantic love, like we talked about at the beginning. It may be family love or affirmation. Maybe you just want your father to say, I love you. I'm proud of you. 
As C.S. Lewis aptly pointed out, we all have a need, love. Now, our desire for love is simply the reality of being made in the image of God because God is a God of love and we are his creation. It's written on our hearts. But we often fail to recognize that the solution is God's gift love of himself. And when we miss this, we search for love in all the wrong places. And so I suspect there's some of us in this room who have looked for romance to give us the sense of meaning and our faith in God, that, that only our faith in God can bring. In his book, The Denial of Death, Ernest Becker discusses the various ways that secular people have dealt with their loss of belief in God. One of the primary ways, he says, people have done this is through apocalyptic romance. In other words, the pursuit of romance is actually pointing to our need of God. And I think even today, some of us do this. Becker suggests this. He says, the love partner becomes the divine ideal within which to fulfill one's life. All spiritual and moral needs now become focused in one individual. After all, what is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to the position of God? We want redemption, nothing less. Now, don't you see that if your primary focus is on finding a love partner, you can easily make that person an idol, a false god. But your boyfriend or girlfriend and your fiancé or your spouse can't be God. They will ultimately fail you. And so in our search for love, it's ultimately about finding redemption because we think in our mind that once we have the right partner, everything in my life will be made right. Now, maybe you're not looking for love in romance, but you are probably looking for that feeling of love somewhere. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's affirmation at work. Maybe you find that feeling of love somehow through alcohol. Where do you look for love? Because true love can only be found as a baby in a manger. You know, there's a story about the U2 lead singer Bono, who after returning home from a long tour, came to Dublin, his hometown, and, and attended a Christmas Eve service. At some point in that service, Bono grasped the truth at the heart of the Christmas story. In Jesus, God became a human being. And with tears streaming down his face, Bono realized this, and this is how he recounts it. He says, the idea that God, if there is a force of love and logic in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. That it would seek to explain itself by becoming a, a child born in poverty and straw, a child, I just thought, wow, just the poetry. I saw the genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this and then he says this, he says, love needs to find a form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. Love has to become an action, something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. And indeed, God came in the flesh out of love. And when we go on the search for love, we need to look in the right place. And when we do that, true love is really good news. Friends, so many of us are searching and searching and searching for love, and he's right in front of our face. We simply have to open our eyes. And when we do that, we find the final piece of the puzzle, which is the discovery of love. Once you find what you're looking for, the frustrating pain of the search goes away. I mean, look at what our final scene shows us today. Chapter 2, verse 16 says this, and the shepherds, they went with haste. 
And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made uh, known the saying they had been told concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now again, put yourself in this new scene. The shepherds just, have just been blown away from the huge amount of angels. And the text says here they went with haste to find this baby. Yeah, because they knew something special was going on. Now, it doesn't say exactly how long it took them, but I imagine it wasn't long. And they walk into the stable, and they find the parents with a newborn baby. I suspect emotions were, were palpable as they go in there. Now, if you're a parent in here today, you likely know the feeling of being present at the birth of your child. And if you haven't, I can tell you it is quite the surreal experience. Before my daughter was born, we took a class to prepare us for the experience, but nothing can really prepare you for uh, what happens in there. One thing I was utterly surprised, (laughs) well, I was surprised by was the sheer emotion in myself and how it coursed through your bo- at my body at the moment of birth. I mean, literally, there was this overwhelming sense of love and, and tears just bursting out of your eyes, at least coming down my face when my daughter was born. I've never experienced anything like that in my whole life. In fact, as a friend of ours said, you would never believe you could love this little alien-looking thing as much as you do. <laughs> and so I wonder... Not just how Mary and Joseph experienced this, but what the shepherds felt when they arrived. They found the baby who was literally the incarnation of love looking up at them. The one who would bring the tender mercy of God into the world. I imagine they were overcome with love and wonder, and perhaps they were experiencing it back. Now notice they immediately told everybody what else, everything that happened to them. And everyone was mesmerized by this truth. One person in particular took this to heart. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the young girl who had been visited by the angel Gabriel and told that she would give birth to God, is treasuring everything that has happened in this rather peculiar birth moment. She doesn't want to miss a moment of this unique experience. In fact, the grammatical force of the word treasured and pondering meant that she was continually trying to put the pieces together and see the whole picture of Christmas. In other words, Mary was, in a way, trying to understand what the story of Christmas was about. Did she know that she had just given birth to the love of God? In fact, as the famous Christmas song puts it, Mary, did you know? That your baby boy is Lord of all creation. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nation? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Mary, did you know that when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God? Mary certainly had a lot to ponder, and she treasured it in her heart. Friends, today we have the Christmas story written in the scriptures, but we still need to ponder it, even as familiar as it might be. We need to sit back and meditate upon the entrance of God's love into the world and what that means for our lives. And if you're sitting here today still on a search for love, my exhortation is this, open your eyes 
And come behold the wondrous mystery of God's love. Because love is not a philosophical concept. Love is a person who came in the flesh to earth. In fact, John tells us in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. You see, Jesus Christ left his place on high, stepped into our world, and took the form of a human being. He came to live the life of love we never could. And he says this to us today. If you want to discover true love, look to me. Look to the truth of the incarnation because I am worthy of worship and I am the longing of your heart. No one else will satisfy. And I've done all of this out of love for my glory. And our need for love can only be quenched by the one whose love is unending. In fact, John Piper puts it this way. He says this. He says, the saving love of God is God's commitment to do everything necessary to enthrall us with what is most deeply and durably satisfying, namely himself. Did you catch that? That God gave himself as a gift, not just to save us, but to capture our hearts with his love for us. Because he is the only one who can truly satisfy that need love that we all have. And don't you see That love is the very foundation of Christmas. And our search for true love has ended in the form of a baby in a manger. Which brings us to the ultimate question of why. Why did God send his son into the world in such wretched conditions? Well, I think the hymn writer captures it beautifully in these words of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The hymn says, Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glories by, born that we no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. You see, Jesus Christ was, came and was born so that we no more may die. Born to give us second birth, God-man Jesus dwelt among us and love exploded into our world. And the prophet John, the prophet of love, shows up on the scene pointing people to Jesus saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, love has come to town. And so John famously puts it this way in chapter 3 of his gospel, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Because our covenant-keeping God, the one who will forgive our sins, 
The one who will show his Hesed love to us does so by offering his son. His son who was born as a human and who would die a brutal death on the cross so that we could have eternal life. And that is love. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, there is no way to have a real relationship without becoming vulnerable to hurt. Christmas tells us that God became breakable and fragile. God became someone we could hurt. And why? Well, to get us back. And no other religion, whether secularism, Greco-Roman paganism, Eastern religion, Judaism, or Islam, believes that God became breakable or suffered or had a body. And friends... That's why the Christmas story is unique. And at Christmas time, we celebrate the incarnation that God himself came in the flesh and had a body. But we also, at Christmas time, remember the greatest act of love in the history of the world, God doing what we could never do, going to a cross and dying for us. Where God became vulnerable to hurt. Where God became breakable. And he suffered for us out of love. Friends, where are you looking for love today? I suspect some of us are looking in those wrong places. We're looking to people, to material objects, to status to be affirmed. But we need to look to the one who gave himself for us. Because true love is right in front of us. The one who will love you where you are is here for you. He gave up everything for you. So that you could have everything. Though he was rich, he became poor for our sake. And even when we are unfaithful to him, he is faithful to us. Church, don't settle for counterfeit love of this world. Discover the reality of true love. Stop focusing on need love because you have all you need in God's gift, love. And it's totally free. It's a gift, In fact, it's the ultimate Christmas gift, and that's good news. Now, maybe today you need that reminder, or maybe you're pondering this love deeply like Zechariah or Mary in our story today. And if you've already received this gift, take it in, drink it in deeply, and take it a step further with this challenge. Because even though God doesn't ask us to earn this gift love after we've received it, he does invite us to do something with it, namely... He asks us to display his gift love to others around us and reflect him. As those who have been adopted by our heavenly father, we are called to love as he loves. Because that's what our family does. And if you recognize that today, I would, I would ask you to consider this question. How can I show God's true love this Christmas? Author David Garland challenges us this way. He says, Christians express the true spirit of Christmas when they stop thinking only of themselves and instead reach out to others and relieve their loneliness, shine the light in their darkness, and radiate the warmth of God's love to defrost their wintry existence. See, we show God's love by modeling the incarnation to others. And when we stop thinking of ourselves and start focusing on Jesus, we can model true, genuine love for others. We can do that in small ways or rise to the challenge when a crisis comes our way. And so as we close, I want to share with you a powerful story of rescue in a life or death situation. And as I do, I'll invite the worship team to come up on stage.
Pastor Todd Wilson puts it this way. He says, as a country, we are still reeling from many tragic deaths or tragic events. But there are a few flashes of hope coming forth from the stories of tragedy. One is from a survivor of the 2015 San Bernardino shootings, which I mentioned at the beginning. 27-year-old Denise Peraza. Her life was spared, not because the shooters saw her and turned the other way, but because a valiant man named Shannon Johnson shielded her body with his own and saved her life. Listen to how she recounts the situation. She says, Wednesday morning at 10.55 a.m., we were seated next to each other at a table, joking about how we thought the large clock on the wall might be broken because time seemed to be moving so slowly. I would have never guessed that only five minutes later, we would be huddled next to each other under the same table, using a fallen chair as a shield from over 60 rounds of bullets being fired across the room. While I cannot recall every single second that played out that morning, I will always remember his left arm wrapped around me, holding me as close as possible next to him behind that chair. And amid all the chaos, I'll always remember him saying these three words, I got you. I got you. And always, no matter what, church, may we remember these three words, I got you. Because these are God's three words to us. That not just in our time of need, but all the time, he is our everlasting father through the Lord Jesus Christ who will never leave us nor forsake us. And he says to us, I got you, I got you, I got you. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he says, I got you. And when Jesus came as a baby and was born in the manger, he says, I got you. And that's what Christmas is all about. Let's pray.